BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Truly, whenever I get the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody about something I know nothing about, I am so in. Today's conversation we actually recorded last year as I was readying for the holidays. Now we get to release some of that content. And this one is just a conversation that has sat in my head and heart ever since. We're going to be talking about surrogacy and egg donation and all of sort of the boundaries and support and things that you've never even thought or explored before when it comes to the world of surrogacy infertility. Today, we are welcoming Canadian Fertility Consulting, which is a full-service surrogacy agency. They are dedicated to helping couples and individuals who are unable or have had difficulty conceiving to provide guidance and support while exploring alternative methods to building a family. This story will take you so many different directions. And then we're going to have a guest on who has gone through the process of having a surrogate. I just have so many cool thought points here, but I'm just going to let you go with this. Keep your mind open, listen, learn. Things like this are so cool to learn about because you never know when in your own experience or someone else might walk down this path. And maybe we all just learn a little bit more about what this process is like and how to show up for people in it. Let's get into today's show. All right, everyone. Welcome back. I am so excited to have this conversation here today because it's nothing like we've ever talked about before. We've shared stories about different ways that families are created through adoption. We've also talked about infertility, but we've never talked about this one part of it all, this big piece of the puzzle for so many families, and that's surrogacy. So today we have on the founder of Canadian Fertility Consulting, and that's Leah. Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having us or having me. I'm super excited to chat with you about my huge passion, which is surrogacy, egg donation, family building, all of it. Now, this is where I get to like kind of nerd out and be part of just learning along with listeners in case people have ever explored. I have a friend who's been an egg donor, but beyond that, I don't really have a lot of awareness 
into what goes on. I've learned a lot about infertility over the years through friends who have gone through it. We've talked a lot about IVF. Surrogacy seems to be this almost celebrity platform. It seems to be this conversation we see that floats through media. And it kind of carries a bit of a stigma at times that it's like just an opt out or, or something that people that people just have access to, can opt into all of these different things. And I, and I think I would love to hear kind of how you got started, how this became a passion for you. And let's just talk about surrogacy. It's, it's such a, an emotional piece for me at 16. I had a child that I placed for adoption. And as I was going through that process, there was a poster on the guidance counselor's door. And it said, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And as I had Alana and watched her parents become parents in front of my eyes, it was just something I tucked away and I remembered. And as I moved through life and had my first two children that I kept with me, Christina and Sarah, I remember talking to a neighbor who was struggling with infertility and saying, well, I'd have a kid for you, of course. Like, why wouldn't I? Like, you want a baby? I could do that. And it ended up not moving forward because actually her church said it wasn't a thing for her and she trusted God and her church and decided not to move forward. And so I went on this search and found an agency. I lived in Ontario at the time and met the most amazing people that I sat across from. And I saw these glimpses of her playing with her child. She was a kindergarten teacher and that started my surrogacy journey and it was beautiful and messy and hard and amazing. And at the end of it, well, during we had had these journals that I wrote in and she wrote in and we exchanged them at the end. And every one of her writings was a poem to her child. And every one of my writings was F my life. I feel so sick. There was coffee spilled in it. There was, you know, all of these ramblings of a very hormonal pregnant woman. And I, I knew, I knew in the moments leading up to the birth, I knew at his bar mitzvah I went to last year or two years ago that I made the best decision ever helping them. They are the best parents I've ever met. And knowing that a child could be loved so deeply inspired me. And I went on, I actually became an egg donor and and donated my eggs several times and then went on to another surrogacy and had a set of twins. And it was super tricky. And I was very unwell during both physically and mentally. I struggled a lot with prenatal depression and no one cared. You signed up for this, you know, you did this to yourself, you know, and, and there was no support and there was no, there was no therapist. There was no one that understood because it was such a subsect of the subsect of the subsect of the infertile population, which I wasn't, but I was on fertility medications and going through an IVF pregnancy and all the things. And so after that journey, I realized I needed to start an agency that focused on the support and commitment to the surrogate and the egg donor. Because we know that when women are supported and cared for, they can make good decisions when they have enough sleep, clean water, good food, and are cared for, deeply cared for with a commitment of other women. And 
it was lost on me because I had lived sort of a singular life. You know, I didn't really have a whole bunch of people. And so I created this agency that was amazing and wonderful. And, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, I spent five years and it was amazing until I had a knock on the door. The police pulled guns on me and said, what you're doing is illegal. You cannot pay surrogates. You cannot pay egg donors. Oh, I and didn't. Wait, what? Yeah. Seriously? That's, that's so you're expected family. to just go through that and like, I don't, I couldn't barely function when I was pregnant. So how does that even make sense? So you can't be paid in Canada to be an egg donor or a surrogate. And the the altruistic nature is beautiful and it's deep and it's fulfilling and it's all the things. But this happened and I was charged with 27 criminal charges and I pleaded guilty to two regulatory offenses, which were paying surrogates and donors without checking the receipt of the five apples she bought and separating only one may it was hers and the other four were her family's. And we hoped it would change the law and it didn't. And so I kept working and knew that we needed to make a change. So I created a lobbying group and we're in Ottawa. Well, before COVID, we were in Ottawa every six weeks sharing with anyone that will listen. We have an amazing senator who's taken this bill public to say, we need to decriminalize this. Because if Molly paid me to find her a surrogate, not just for the administrative process, but if she had paid me and said, Leah, find me a surrogate, she could go to jail for 10 years or face a $500,000 fine. What? And it's heartbreaking, like literally heartbreaking. It is the only piece of women's health that is still within the criminal code of Canada. And so we're changing that. Fast forward, that was 10 years ago. But when that case ended, I created Sacred Surrogacy. And it's a retreat. We run retreats for women to connect, honor, and support one another through this journey. We wash women's feet. We love on them because pregnancy is hard. And with surrogacy, there's no guarantee. Because if you sign up to give someone a baby and it doesn't work, then who are you? Well, here's who you are. You're an amazing woman who now has a sisterhood behind her who is just going to care for her so deeply. We also added having a therapist on staff that could meet with people exactly where they were in those high moments, in those low moments, in all the moments in between. And so our intended parents, our surrogates and our egg donors have access to Jan to really um, unpack whatever's going on and, and to ensure that, that they are well. And if they aren't, that they can have access to whatever supports they would would need. And I think this is where it's so, so important too, because I've struggled with prenatal depression. I haven't had postpartum, but I had really strong prenatal depression. And a lot of the conversations even around it is the result of having this baby that you love and that you get to bring home, which really leaves surrogacy a little bit in the dust, right? Like I, I've never really thought about that. To be honest, after that pregnancy, I thought I could never have been a surrogate because I don't know how I would have survived it. Knowing that you have, to be honest, when I started this call, I thought the focus was much more on providing families with babies via surrogacy. And I'm learning so much more that it's down to the core of 
wellness for the women, all of them collectively, the village that is that is creating this baby. It is wellness on all sides of it, which overall creates a better experience and really allows more families to be built in this way, but from the ground up with really good, well-connected and taking care of egg donors to surrogates into the arms of the families who will raise them. Now, tell me a little bit about where we stand now in Canada legally when it comes to surrogacy and egg donation. Absolutely. So as you earlier said, people having children via surrogate, for me as a surrogate, and that's what people think, right? People think via a surrogate, for us, it's through the beautiful, life-changing gift of, you know, because it's, it's so deep for us. The law in Canada is very clear. You cannot compensate a surrogate or an egg donor for their time for, for anything. What you can do is reimburse them for their expenses. So their grocery, their cell phone, their internet, all those pieces. Agencies charge intended parents for matching. They can charge for the coordination of the process, which we do, which is how we have a business. And the penalty is greater than most crimes in Canada, 10 years in jail or $500,000 fine to the intended parents or to the agency. And so we don't know if purchasing your surrogate flowers at the end of a birth is, is considered a criminal offense. But what we do know is that we're working diligently with our senator in Ottawa, who's, who's taking this bill forward to decriminalize. And it wouldn't make it a commercial process because our surrogates have told us and our donors, well, clearly they're not interested in that, would allow for women to decide whether or not a massage during a pregnancy is an expense. <laughs> rather than the government deciding, well, did she have a massage before she was pregnant? Then why does she need one yeah. while she Well, and pregnancies are unpredictable. I got put on a form of rest and thank goodness I had the job that I was able to manipulate around that. Had I had a different job, I would have been financially, you know, in a, in a different situation. So to me, honestly, listening to this, I'm like, it mind boggles me so much how little we care about infertility and all like the government in terms of like healthcare system. Cause in Canada, yes, like it's pretty much, we can walk into the hospital and anything can be wrong unless something like this, like something that would be considered optional, but it feels more like a human right to be able to reproduce in this country. So it is hard that families go into so much debt, figuring out how to build a family and every option, every avenue is an expensive one. So surrogacy ends up being, you know, I would have assumed that it was a very, very difficult thing to go into. But what I'm hearing is there's still like, I've seen your numbers. You have a lot still of willing surrogates who understand that they will not be compensated. They understand that this process is literally a gift from them to another family, and they're still stepping up to the plate. How many families are you seeing built by surrogacy right now? In our program, it's between 200 and 300 families a year. And those people from places in the world where they would be jailed. This is gay men in Israel who while heterosexual couples can access surrogacy, they can't. This is single women in Canada who waited a while because they didn't have education or information around family building. This is cancer patients. This is women that are diabetic that, that can't carry their own children. This is women with mental health issues 
and cannot go off medication to be pregnant. These are all of the people. It is one in six Canadians that's struggling with infertility. And whether they're needing to access surrogacy or egg donation or both, or they, they just need to know where to go and how to get there. We work a lot on that because as, as, as communities, there is still somewhat of a stigma around, around having family through, through fertility treatments. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I feel like we've come a long way when it comes to discussing IUI or IVF, but we haven't like, I think it's so fascinating. You know, I said about the bit about the celebrity thing, but when we see someone like Kim Kardashian having babies via surrogacy, to be honest, I assumed that she just didn't want to have to deal with a postpartum body. I didn't realize that she had, it's called like placenta something or other, where like it fuses to your uterus and she almost died. So her options to expand her family were very, very limited. So they went via surrogacy. Now I know we have a guest coming on who has recently, you know, built her family off of surrogacy as well. But before we get into that, I would love to talk a little bit more about that, you know, we're talking from the ground floor up, we're building a family. Can you share with me why there are separate egg donors from surrogates, why these both exist? And part two of that question, if somebody listening is considering either of these things, what is like just a little bit of what that process might look like? Because what I really love about this is that there, one time we had somebody share that they were looking for a surrogate and I shared it on my Instagram stories and one of my followers saw it and they got connected and they literally built a family by Instagram. So here I am sitting here, I'm going, remember that? And like now that that baby was born like this year and I've talked to both mom and surrogate, it's so cool. But I have been just like curious about, I think people are genuinely just like, I've never really thought about that. And like, I actually really enjoyed being pregnant. I think I could surrogate for someone. Or when you hear the stories of a family who is looking to build and need a surrogate, all of a sudden it's like, that is something I could do. We we talk about so many different types of how we can kind of village do things, whether it's organ donation or blood donation. This is, to me, feels within a same realm of that. So I would love to hear if for somebody who's listening, that's like, I think I could do egg donor, or I think I could be a surrogate. What does that look like? What does it involve in terms of making that decision and moving forward? And why are those two things separate? Absolutely. So the two things are separate because legally it's safer for intended parents. For me, I really feel, you know, as an agency that it's important to have that clear sort of understanding. So surrogates are carrying intended mother's eggs. They're carrying egg donors eggs. And either way, it's amazing and beautiful. But here's the trick is you have the baby and your body knows this baby's going home with someone. Your mind knows this baby's going Mm. home. Your body and mind aren't always communicating. And so there are moments that are a little bit tricky. And so having that support is so important. Egg donors are amazing young women. My daughter actually is in Toronto right now doing an egg donation. Her egg retrieval is on Wednesday. And it's just donors are 32 and younger, healthy young women of all diverse backgrounds who come to us and say, my children are the most amazing people. Of course, I want to share that with the world. Mm. Brother's a gay man. He doesn't want kids yet. But I really love to be a donor for a gay couple. We encourage our donors to really think through whether or not they want to be known. Do you want to know these people? Do you want to be in this child's life? How are you going to 
craft that? Or would you like to be anonymous? Knowing mm. that with 23andMe and all of these other pieces, anonymity doesn't yeah. because fast forward 20 years, you know, we're all on 23andMe. So we really talk about that with donors, but really it's, it's healthy young women who are fascinated by the science healthy young women who come from big, huge families or that that are moms already, or being a mom isn't required to be an egg donor. We need to know that women have demonstrated pregnancy, that they, you know, are over 21, that they are, have been healthy throughout their, their lives. Of course, we screen around mental wellness and we don't screen out people, but we partner with them. And sometimes that's for up to six months where they'll speak to our therapist to really mentally prepare because pregnancy may have been a tricky time for them, but they love pregnancy. And so that they're able to commit. And then with surrogacy, you always know the intended parents. I call it the most intimate experience you will ever have with a stranger. Families are built and that's not the baby and the parents. That is you and the parents and the baby. As you move through this process, that commitment, that partnership, between all of the parties, whether it's the donor and the parents, surrogate and the parents, really is just so deep and connected and and honoring of of everyone. And I think it's such a beautiful thing as well. There's a lot of pressure in in the whole realm of fertility. One of my biggest reasons for my prenatal depression was that I had zero bonding with the child I was carrying and nobody was talking about it. Nobody talked about how that could be a thing. So I didn't begin bonding with my baby until she was born. Like truly, yes, I was carrying her, but until she was born. And I never understood that that actually could be a starting point for a mother. Like I knew it in storylines, but to experience it was really beautiful. And also in a way, like very, very outside way, allowed me to understand how, you know, on both sides, you can experience so many different forms of different mental health. It would be lovely for every pregnant person to have the amount of support that you are carrying through. And also to understand that families truly are built not in storybook ways all the time, but that that doesn't mean it's not just as beautiful or it's not just as bonding and amazing as of an experience. And I know you have someone that has gone through your services before and we're going to welcome her on now. Would you like to kind of introduce her and then we'll bring her on? Absolutely. So in life, you meet people that just can't give up. And this is Molly. After failed transfer, failed transfer, shut door, clinic, nothing working, nothing working, and years in in our program and deep phone calls of us both crying, going, we got to fucking make, oops, sorry, we have to. No, you can swear. You swear. You know, we have to fucking make this work, Molly. Like you are going to be the most beautiful mother. And your husband is going to be the most beautiful father. And I am committed to that. And we had these, these moments and she didn't give up. And so her story is everything to me. She came here from Ireland. Like who travels from Ireland to Canada to have a baby, actually to Alberta to have a baby, the farthest spot almost Well, Molly did. And Molly, welcome. I'm just so grateful you were able to, to share your journey because it's been everything to watch. Thanks, Leah. I'm crying before I start. <laughs> I know so when you started talking, you choked up. I was like, oh no, oh gosh, this is going <laughs> to yes. go. 
We're going to go right there to the heart. Molly, thank you so much for coming on to the show. First of all, your accent is absolutely delightful. I'm going to very much enjoy the rest of this podcast with you on it. I would love to hear, first of all, why it is that you had to come to Canada for surrogacy and your journey up into that point. Tell us a little bit about your story. Okay, so it's a really, really long one. It's really, really sad and really depressing. And I can, (laughs) I will cry and you'll all cry. Okay, you can give me the notes that you want to give. Yeah, I'm going to fast forward and say it as quickly as I can. I will say it really nonchalantly. And I don't want anyone to think that this is blasé or anything. These were some of the lowest of the low moments of all time. It's incredible. But surrogacy for us was the moment our lives started turning in a much more positive direction. So I am 44 years old. So we've been on this journey for 15 years. (laughs) We got married in 2008 and started trying for a family. It didn't happen. And I didn't know anybody who had done IVF. And we were recommended after about a year of trying naturally that IVF would be our answer. So we did an IVF here in Dublin and on our first embryo transfer, it works. We were pregnant and we thought everything was great. Turns out that that was an ectopic pregnancy and we lost that baby. So here's where I'm going to get. And it sounds like I'm being really blase. I'm not. We did three more IVFs in Dublin. And then it was recommended to us that maybe we needed a bit more cutting edge therapy we went to London. I did uh, six cycles in a clinic in London that's known as like a, a boot camp IVF. It's like if they don't get you pregnant, nobody can. They investigated all kind of um, things with me, like my immune system. And did I have elevated natural killer cells that were like so busy attacking this embryo? They saw it as a foreign body. So is this why I was having miscarriages? Is this why IVFs weren't working? So I then went from a clinic in London after doing six IVFs there, got pregnant five times, but had miscarriages. And not only miscarriages, I had what they were called missed miscarriages. So my body never bled. I never even know I was having a miscarriage until we went for scans. And it was like that same, we're so sorry. We can't see a heartbeat here. We're so sorry. I know it's a twin pregnancy from your betas. And your HCG results, but I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat here. So we went on again and we went to another clinic in Greece. I did five more cycles in a clinic in Greece. I had so many surgeries and I've been knocked out <laughs> more times than I've had hot dinners. And, and, and literally, they didn't know why my body just kept having miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. So in total, and here's where it gets a bit, aye, we did. 20 IVFs and I had 10 miscarriages and some of those were twin miscarriages. And then somebody here was like, you should try surrogacy. It's, it's, it's not working for you. When Leah said at the start, you know, that, you know, people come to Canada for a whole load of different reasons. The reason we went to Canada is because in Ireland, surrogacy, it's not that it's legal, illegal or anything. It's just not legislated for. There is Mm. no legislation. So whoever gives birth to the baby in Ireland will and forever be known as the birth mother. So if my sister said, I'll do it for you, I'll do it. She would be known as my baby's mom under Irish law. Wow. So we went to um, a conference in a hotel in Dublin a couple of years ago. We were immediately drawn 
to the process in Canada for a number of reasons. Leah mentioning that whole altruistic element, it sat really well with us. I was like, people who want to do this are in this for the right reasons. They want to make dreams come true. They want to help us. They genuinely want to make the world a better place and they want to end heartache and stuff. So we said, you know, and it's, it's brilliant. And even when we were in Canada, I mean, our surrogate was in the sticks in the middle of nowhere. And I thought there'd be judgment. I thought people, everybody in Canada seems to know someone who did surrogacy or someone who, or they're so accepting. They're like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Compared to in Ireland here where people know so little about it that in fact, my husband got asked, is your surrogate good looking? Like, like, would you, would you? And he's like, she's the oven. It's nothing to do with her. So it's like, so not understood here in Ireland. It's like, as you were saying, it's, it's that whole Kim Kardashian thing. Are you a bit too push? Is there, you know, people have so little understanding of why people enter into surrogacy or why they have to. So yeah, our sob story went from surrogacy as our answer to okay, it didn't work. It didn't work on our first, our second, or our third try with our amazing surrogate who went to a clinic in Canada after the third uh, failed transfer. And this is where Leah is like, you know, in our corner. She was, it was recommended to us that we change surrogate Mm. by a doctor. And Leah was like, you know what? Ask your doctor this, ask your doctor. Maybe it's not the surrogate. Maybe it's your embryos. And they were right. It wasn't our surrogate. Our embryos were not strong enough. We jumped again and we switched clinics to another fertility clinic in the US. Our surrogate who didn't own a passport had never flown <laughs> in her life. She conquered her fear of flying. She got a passport. She was not giving up on us. She's like, if you're happy to stick with me, I want to ride this through with you guys. She'd already been with us for three years at this stage. And she stuck with us in September of 2020 in the middle of a pandemic when we didn't think we'd get to Canada. We rocked up to the airport here in Dublin. We were told, you're not getting on the flight. You're not Canadian. You're not. We were yeah, like, we yeah. can. And like Leah said, senators, everything. The reason we got into Canada in the middle of COVID was because on a technicality, we got in because it was reunification with a family member except our family member hadn't been born yet. It was our unborn baby. So that's oh how we my gosh. We couldn't even see our surrogate for the first two weeks because we were like quarantined. We did food shopping online. We were in, in our little basement apartment of our Airbnb. And then it was like, I, I, and it's, as well, people hadn't been vaccinated at this stage. I was like, yeah, exactly. I, I, I can't hug it out. I can't touch your belly. I, I, I'm not going to see her until I'm allowed hug it out and touch that belly and feel my baby. So yeah, when we met, it was magical and monumentous and awe-inspiring. Every the happy feeling you can think of in the world. And yeah, we had a good time getting to know our surrogate, her hubby, her babies. And like you say, you know, is it, and so many people have said, is it not weird? Isn't it? In her kitty's eyes, that baby, her bump, it was always Molly and Niles' mm -hmm. baby. It was mm -hmm. never mom's baby. It mm -hmm. was like, 
Molly, when are you taking your baby away? Like it was like, hurry up and give us our mom back. We, yeah, we yeah, want to yeah. get you out here. Take that baby. My mom has got tired. She hasn't got the energy to play with us anymore. Get that baby out of her and you get on home on your airplane back to Ireland. So yeah, so babies and kids, we don't give them enough enough credit for, for, for how, if we just simplify things and say it exactly how it is, they get it. They get it so much more sometimes than we do. We try and overcomplicate things. They don't need that. Their mommy was giving us the greatest gift that she ever could. She was just, my mommy is super kind and she's the best. And you know what? They're right. It literally is the most amazing gift that anyone can give to a couple like me and Niall who just thought that the world had it in for us. I, I thought I'm being punished. The universe is giving me and sending me signs. You're not going to be a mom. Something I, I was like looking for. And then, like Leah said, I was just stubborn, determined and met the most beautiful tribe, literally the most beautiful tribe. When I met fellow IPs, intended parents, I met fellow surrogates who just literally it just when you hear bad news bad stories when you're down all you got to do is reach and tap into that world of surrogacy and I'm telling you it's just it's feel good factor by a million is what it is I find it so amazing that when we have conversations like this it feels so normal. It feels so safe and lovely and amazing. And yet I've watched so many friends struggling through IVF. And I mean, you talked about doing 20 IVFs like, and then into a uh, surrogacy over a matter of 15 years. So we're talking, you know, a, a certain amount of things happening. I've had friends who have gone through it for like a year and a half and like multiple transfers during a year and a half. It, it is a, it is a process and these things take time, but there's always like that hope of like, oh, we just have to do this and then that'll happen. And so I think for people listening, they might be like, how could you go that far in? And, but I think it is kind of that hope, that understanding that there is something there, but when it comes to surrogacy, that not being an option where you were would make things increasingly difficult. But I know a lot of people are going to be thinking this, and I do want to ask it when it came down to this decision why was it that, or even just, I just know people are going to ask this, but like adoption versus surrogacy, what was it with surrogacy that pulled you into really wanting to have that go? Was it that hope that kind of lingered from the IVF and like that hope that, you know, you do have these embryos, they could be carried. What was it that made you go towards surrogacy? Yeah. So, so I'm actually happy you asked that because a lot of people ask that, like, there are so many couples in different parts of the world that would be so happy to adopt a baby. And we were that couple. It's not like I wanted or needed that genetic connection. I, I would be happy. I just wanted to be a mom. But again, I'm going to sound like I'm dissing Ireland here. I'm not. It's a great country in so many ways. But the adoption process in Ireland is impossibly hard, impossibly lengthy. And since we, and this is just getting into technicalities, we ratified a thing called the Hague Convention. And it, it, it kind of closed doors that Irish people typically used to adopt from, like the Russia, the Ethiopia, the Thailand, the, you know, all those countries closed. And adoption became absolutely and utterly 
impossible basically is the only reason so when wow. you say you know moving to surrogacy as well it's it, it's like we started on a journey and our goalposts were here yeah and then they shift and then you get a little bit more disappointment and your goalposts shift again and like you say you know the major goalpost shift for me was the really really mourning the fact that I would never be pregnant I'd never feel that bump I'd never and, and I was that took a lot for me to kind of get over. And like Leah said, I did a lot of counseling just to, you know, to, to let it all out to like, you know, and, and, and it's so funny because a lot of my girlfriends joked, are you joking? You're, you're missing, you're missing all the crap part. And, and they would mean well, but I was like, don't say that to me. Every time I saw a bump in a shopping mall or a shopping center, like I cried, I turn and, and, and grab my coffee and go. I wanted that bump. I, I wanted those swollen ankles. I wanted to feel a baby kick inside of me. But at the end of the day, the most and the strongest emotion inside both me and Niall is that we just wanted to be a mom and dad. So yeah. the goalpost shifted. Surrogacy was not only an answer, but a beautiful answer and, and, and one that was within our grasp it was like this does happen it does work and it can happen and it will happen and it did and it did okay before we get into the whole birth story talk to me about how it was watching you just explained seeing people pregnant and seeing that bump how was the experience watching your surrogate be pregnant with your child did you already kind of process by then or was that i think a lot of people are nervous of am i going to have this contentious relationship with the mother if i enter into this you know, like even my mom ran daycare for 25 years and she would say sometimes there was like certain things you just didn't want to share with the parent. Like, oh, they, they took a first step or I could feel a tooth. You're like, you, you couldn't, you didn't want to create that type of jealousy between these two caregivers, which in a sense, leading into your, like your scenario, you're both um, involved in this process, but she's got that part that you didn't get to have. How did you, how did you deal with the emotions around that? And how did it end up truly being for you? Cause you sounded really excited to see her and rub that bump. Oh yeah. And she was awesome. Also to point out, she had come from this, from a position of not having fertility issues. So she was like, all excited on going in for her first scan after betas looked like a positive. We on this side of the ocean were like, oh God, this has been robbed for us before. This could all go wrong. So in that way, it was brilliant that she was majorly relaxed. She'd go and we'd wake up time difference wise in Ireland here. I was like, today's the day, today's the day. We had to wait till Alberta, like at, at noon or midday or whenever she was on it. All day I'm looking at my phone and, and Megan was brilliant. She'd like just, you know, record the little heartbeat or the sonographers would be so excited wherever she was going for it. They were like, oh my God, it's a surrogacy pregnancy. This is so exciting. And they jump on and wave down the camera and go, your baby's doing great. And just, you know, like me and Nile said, I will never tire of that. She used to just play on like through Facebook Messenger, the little <laughs> of the heartbeat. And every time she played with us, we were like, oh, it's OK, it's OK, more good news. And, and like that, you know, week 12 scan, week 14 scan, we, and we were still like right up in the delivery suite. I said to Nile at one stage, will we go out to the car and get our bag? I just had such disappointment all our life that I still felt this could go wrong at any moment. But in a way, 
it's brilliant that it wasn't my body with that anxiety and that nerves. Our surrogate was so calm, cool and collected. She's like, I do this. I do this pretty good and I do it pretty easy. I know this baby's all good. This baby was better than all good. He's the dude and he's the best. Emails, laundry, groceries. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. There's a lot that's on our to-do list. But what should be at the top? Well, the answer is you. This year, put yourself first with the help of Dipsy. Because sometimes doing less can lead to so much more. Dipsy Stories believes in less analyzing and more feeling your feelings, less stressing and more easing into things, less scrolling and more savoring in the moment, less pressure, more pleasure. So what is Dipsy Stories? Well, Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories, and they have a brand new written stories. No matter who you are or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring stories to life anytime, anywhere. Close your eyes and let yourself get lost in a world where only good things happen, and your pleasure is your only priority. Explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. There are hundreds of stories to choose from and they release new content every week. So there is always more to explore. And if you're seeking for something to help you doze off at night, there's also wellness sessions and to wind down, there's those sleep sessions to help you drift off. For listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash papaya. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P. S-E-A stories.com slash papaya. One more time, dipsystories.com slash papaya. Hey, I'm Molly Carmel, an eating disorder and addiction therapist and your coaching guide. On my show, What You're Craving, we get to the real root of your problems when it comes to food, weight, dieting, and beyond. Through honest conversations with a crew of my favorite experts and friends, we'll expand our minds, we'll learn, we'll laugh, we'll even heal. Get ready to break open and break through. I've got your back big time. And together, we'll figure out what you're really craving. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode anywhere you listen to podcasts. So we had like, obviously it's a pandemic. I gave birth in a pandemic. It is very different situation. I don't know how it was in Alberta. How was birth? How did that go? Were you allowed to be around? How quickly did you get to see the baby? How did that all work out? Yeah. So again, and I'm just another fluke, another fluke that our surrogate was from a teeny tiny country town in the middle of Alberta. Cause like that, Leah and other agencies had put on webinars and I was watching going, okay, there may be no birthing people in there. If it's one person, you know what? Let her squeeze and curse at her husband's hand, you know, rather than me or whatever. It is pure fluke that she gave birth in a teeny tiny health center. We were treated like celebrities. They were like, you're the Irish couple. So her hubby was in. He filmed and videoed every single bit of it. And we were both there down <laughs> up, up the, up, as, as Nas said, I don't want to be down the business end. We were, we were up holding her hand and just with her every step of the way. And it was, it was 
oh, I can't describe it. It was the most magical and amazing and would just make you and reaffirm how amazing women are. It just, it just, it just would blow your mind. And it did blow our minds. And, and she was, she was like a rock star. She aced it. She was calming us. She'd like, no, this is okay. This is okay. And if you hear me, you know, I, I might scream a little. Don't you guys get, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Travel, tell you. And her hubby would like, guys, relax. This is nothing yet. She's only warming up. And it was like, initially, yeah, it was, it was funny and beautiful and incredible in, in, in oh, so many amazing ways. So tell me about having a baby and what's your relationship with your surrogate now? Yeah. So, so like she is, it's funny. You're on the other side of the world. There's a time difference. There's whatever, but it's like, not even at the start, it was a little bit kind of when you're kind of getting to know her, it was a little bit more formal and we'd like set up a FaceTime call and chat and stuff. And then it just got so normal that you just like, Oh, what time is it? No, don't want to wake her up. You'd leave like a little WhatsApp voice note or just do a video from our end of things and hit send and send it on. And yeah, she's, she would know more like, and just even the fluff, the faff, they're like, Hey, oh, we're having spaghetti bolognese for dinner. (laughs) It just became so normal and so blase and so everything. And she is, and always will be a part of our life, a part of our story, and more importantly, a part of our little baby's boy's story. He will always know that the reason he arrived into this world because of the most amazing person on the other side of the world. And that's where I wish the stigma would go away because I think anything where, especially there's something about when women do it, when women just band together, I think we can do literally anything. I swear to God, well, maybe we need some sperm, but then we could do literally <laughs> anything. I just, I find it so beautiful. We we go through life making everything so singular. Like you get married, you, you know, you find somebody, you get married, you have a baby, you raise the children. And now we're like, okay, maybe I don't have to be the one at home. Maybe I can have help. Maybe, you know, so-and-so can carry the baby or maybe that person can bring in the eggs. And we truly can band together and build families for people instead of just, I don't know, like an experience for some and not for other. Because like I said at the beginning, this does feel more like a human right. We, our whole lives for a lot of people, you've dreamt your whole life of being a parent and some are lucky enough to have that dream come true on the first. And then there's other people like you, Molly, who've had to go through major, major, major trauma and pain and like hoops to jump through over 15 years to reach that goal. Maybe the goal is the same, but the path there isn't always that way. So Molly, thank you so much for sharing your story and, you know, giving us your story, but the, also the experience of what it is to birth via surrogacy. I mean, you just have such an energy and a joy to your voice through even knowing your whole, I know you said like, I would come, you would talk about it, Blase. I know there's a lot of trauma unpacked there, but the joy at your story now is just so beautiful and so, so exciting. I'm so happy for you and your husband and your little boy. That is just so, how old is he now? He is 13 months. Yeah. So he's, he's busy. He's busy. (laughs) I can imagine. 
I also think these pandemic babies, they keep making these TikToks that are like, pandemic babies are a different breed. I fully believe that now. Like they're wild. They're just, they're wild. All of them are. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And Leah, I'm going to pop back over to you. How you're sitting here while we were having that conversation, just weeping. (laughs) What does this mean for you watching kind of these stories move through and knowing that your own experience, I guess, to be honest, when I first read a little bit about you and you said your two experiences through surrogacy, I thought you were like Molly, where you were somebody who had a surrogate. I didn't realize you were the surrogate. So you are somebody who is a surrogate and now has a fertility consulting business or like agency around surrogacy. And you serve it from the side of knowing what it is to be the woman carrying what do these stories mean to you? And how was your experience through surrogacy yourself? The experiences are so unique to every person that goes through surrogacy. Mm. And, you know, when Molly said she was in the delivery room wondering if it would, if she could go get the bag from the car, it really spoke to me because there are so many intended parents who never get that opportunity to go get the bag from the car. And there are so many surrogates who dream of the moment, passing that child to the parents, picture Lion King, you know, and, and they don't get that experience. So it is in those humbling moments that we realize that nothing in life is guaranteed. I'm a mom of five, you know, I I totally take it for granted every day. And I am so grateful to watch these journeys happen and not everyone is easy and not every intended parent has a beautiful relationship with their surrogate. And so it's about managing and supporting and, and committing to, to everyone involved that, that we will move through this process, respecting everyone involved. And so it's when we have been in a traumatic nightmare for 10, 15 years, as Molly said, for some people, it's really hard to watch someone do the job you signed up for as a old kid pushing a little doll buggy. Yeah. Simultaneously love and hate this person at the same time and just want to love them so badly, but you just wish it was you. And so for many surrogates, you know, they sign up because, and, and they'll say, because it's, you know, it's a completely surrogate led process. Like I want to carry for a gay male couple because I couldn't imagine a woman crumpled in the corner crying. And so it's really getting to, each person and finding out their why, finding out their their values. Would they terminate a pregnancy if the parents asked them to because there was an abnormality? Do they want the intended parents present? Do they want that crazy home birth, Sarah, that I watched you have on Instagram? <laughs> and are the parents okay with that after 15 years of being scared to death that they will never get the bag from the car? And so all of those pieces are just brilliantly moved, you know, and and navigated. And, you know, I have a team of 30 amazing people that work with me in my egg donor program, my surrogacy program, and they, they make all of that happen for people. And I cry because it's, it's so, so amazing to watch people become parents and being a part of that. And these pandemic babies, you're right. I mean, we had to go to the government and say, Hey, government, intended parents in other parts of the world having a baby in Canada who isn't born yet that's not comp 
that's not thought through, you know, that isn't thought of. So can you create an exemption because it wasn't contemplated and the government said, yes, and got everyone in. And, you know, we, we saw women show up for their intended parents. We saw women who the intended parents were in quarantine. Baby was born. Surrogate had to take said baby home for two weeks because the couldn't see their baby yet. Yeah. Who does that? I actually, I heard a story, but it was in a different part of the world where this happened because the pandemic separated them and they raised the baby for months. And then like, I mean, this is an entirely different layer to the entire fertility process. The fact that you go to bat, like even down to the government level of making sure these families are unified or reunified, I guess, is really truly speaks volumes to what you do and your heart in this and, and how much you truly care I could talk about this all day. I know that we are running out of time now. And I would just love, I honestly think a lot of people are probably sitting listening going, I think I, I think I could be a part of this, or I would like to learn more about being a part of this, whether, you know, on their infertility side or just seeking or for medical purposes. I follow a woman on Instagram who just was born without her like reproductive system fully formed. So she always had to go via surrogate, right? So it was, that was their first step is going via surrogate and egg donor. And the more we hear these stories, the more normal they become and the more we can advocate more for them and really destigmatize them. But no matter where you are in hearing this story and wanting to contribute to it, if that feels like a calling, where, where would people get started in finding that spot? You, you already gave some of the, the metrics of like age and health and whatnot, but where do they even go to begin? So if surrogacy or people being able to become parents after pain, trauma, or because of sexual orientation, they, they can't sort of the old fashioned way, for lack of a better word, write your MP. If you are Canadian, write your MP and say that this, this, these laws need to change. Um, you're a doula or a birth worker, learn more, reach out. I would love to share with you how you can support birthing women or intended parents to have this beautiful birth experience that Molly talked about. If you are, um, uh, gay men, talk to your doctor about options. If you work, which, you know, most of us are working from home, but Talk to your employer about healthcare benefits that cover IVF. The Ontario government covers fertility treatments. Quebec is starting again. We need our governments to see, we need our governments to see people. We need them to see yes. and, and honor your experience and the pain that you've gone through or the excitement that you have of becoming parents as gay men or women with MRKH, as, as Sarah mentioned, absence of uterus, uterus and, and ovaries. You know, so so advocating, being an ally for this miss, missed community of, of people that are so desperate to become parents. Talk about adoption. Have these conversations because they are so important. You know, as Canadians, we have an, a responsibility to care for one another. And we have as many Canadian intended parents or people seeking treatment with our egg donor program or surrogacy program. So talk to people break down the stigma and just love on them. Just, you know, 
learn about how to honor and support those going through infertility. I have one last question. Is surrogacy, would it be included in infertility treatments if it's covered under either government or health benefits? Is surrogacy considered a form of infertility treatment or is it secondary? It's secondary. Uh, The IVF in Ontario is covered if you're an Ontario resident. Okay. Ontario surrogate, but many healthcare providers, I mean, we love Starbucks healthcare. They cover IVF. They also- I heard this. I've heard that people will go and work at Starbucks because they have incredible IVF coverage. They also have health spending accounts. So companies with health spending accounts, drug plans. I know when when we talk to people, by the time they reach us, they have often spent over $100,000 on treatment Yeah, and will likely spend, you know, through the surrogacy process. And so, you know, really advocating with your employer, your HR department around, around covering these types of things. So, so important. Thank you so much for everything, both of you that have shared here today. Where can people go and learn more about Canadian Fertility Consulting? Sure. They can check us out on Instagram. We're cfc.families. They can check us out on cfc.families. Check us out on Egg Helpers on Instagram. They can go to our website, fertilityconsultants.ca. If you are a surrogate and you would love to connect more deeply in your journey, they could check out Sacred Surrogacy, our retreats, online platforms, subscription boxes, and ways in which we would love to care for and honor your journey. Thank you so, so much. And for everyone listening, whether you just got informed like I did or whether you're looking for more ways that you can get involved in building a family and just, or even just learning more about the entire process so we can destigmatize this together, go and check them out. I'm going to have everything in the show notes for you as well. Thank you so much, both Leah and Molly for joining us today. And for everyone listening, we will see you next week. Bye, you guys. Bye. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.